which means we're just about through our road trip through Romans this summer. Uh, last Sunday we went through Romans 13, just got into Romans 14, and uh, today we're going to go through Romans 14 and a little bit in chapter 15, where God's Spirit guides the Apostle Paul to focus in on what it means that as believers in Jesus, we live in community together. Community together. And uh, many of you know, some of you may not, there's daily devotionals Monday through Saturday that go with the reading you'll do during the week. Uh, some of you get that text uh, uh, link. If you don't, just text Romans to our number and we'll get that out to you uh, tomorrow or Monday morning and you'll be good to go. If you haven't used any of these online devotionals all summer long, it's not too late to start. Got a couple weeks left. I think you'll find it helpful. Living community. That's Romans 14, 5 through 15, 6. And it sounds great, right? To be in community, you don't have to be alone, get to know people, have friends you can do stuff with, help each other out. It's easy, it's fun, it's community. Well, on the road trip through Romans passage today that I'll talk about, and you, you'll be reading this coming week, uh, Paul makes it clear that a community of Christians is a, a life-giving group. It gives life. And for that to happen... For a community of believers to be life-giving happens because we give our life to the community. The community gives life because we give our life to the community. So a community in Christ isn't, I'm going to go and get as much as I can out of this people and see if I can make myself feel good. That's not community in Christ. Community in Christ is, I'm going to give my life to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're going to give their life to me, and together we'll walk through life and we'll both receive together the good life that Jesus has to give to us. Now, for many of us, when you hear the word community, you just think, oh, family, extended family. That's, that's my community. We live close by, within the state. We do a lot of stuff as family. We got birthday parties. We go to our nieces and nephews' sporting events. We got gatherings. That's my community. For some of us, we think of community as our longtime friends. We've known them since elementary school or high school or college, and we just feel comfortable with these longtime friends. We just feel relaxed and at ease and at peace. Well, in this passage today about community, Paul is not excluding family or longtime friends, but Paul is specifically talking about a community of people made up of believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. So, for instance, my older sister Susan and my younger brother Mark are not just my sister and brother. They are also my sister and brother in Christ. So when we talk on the phone about what's going on in our lives, since we live at distance, we also talk about what is going in our lives in terms of what God is doing. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now this can be a bit awkward to talk about, but I need to mention it just so you can figure it out for your own life. Sometimes our family and our longtime friends can actually hinder us from growing up in Christ. Sometimes. Sometimes family and friends, they just have you pegged. Oh, that's just Steve. He's always been that way. He'll always be that way. That's just Steve. Whereas I've had Christian friends in my life who got to know me and encouraged me and sometimes even challenged me to find God's better or best for my life. I'm not trashing family and longtime friends. I have both and I value both highly. But ponder this. As I've traveled through my life, 
It's the people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, this community I've been a part of the church, they have been more helpful to me in growing up in Christ than my family or my longtime friends. So you need to ponder that because it has to do with where you want to put your attention. Now, stopping points for the day. Stop one, point one is really simple. We don't live for ourselves. We live to honor the Lord. This is Romans 14, 5 through 9. It's the basic ingredient of Christian community. Let's say you're here on Sunday, September 10th, and you go around and look at all the stuff you can be involved in, and you sign up for a group. And at the first meeting of the group, they go around and everybody says their name and why they're there. And the first person in that group says, well, this is my name, and I want to be a part of this group because I thought I could get a lot out of it. I, I would like more people to celebrate my birthday with me. I would like you all to come to my kids' sporting events. I would like you all to bring me a meal once a week. And I would like you to always, always affirm whatever I do or say. That's why I'm here. And one by one, as they go around the room, every person says the same thing. I'm here to get what I can from you. Great group, huh? No, horrible group. Everyone taking, no one giving. That group will never last. And that group will, be, will disappoint every single person in the group. Let's do a reset. Sign up for a group. Go to the first meeting of the group. People are introducing themselves. First person says, I want to be a part of this group because I want to encourage and build people up. I will walk with you through both the joys and sorrows of life. I'll pray for you. We believe in and follow Jesus together, and I think we can all help each other grow in our faith. And everybody goes around and they say the same thing. I'm here to walk with you as you grow up in your faith. That would be a great group to be a part of, wouldn't it? Everyone in the group is not living for themselves. Everyone in this second group is living to honor the Lord by encouraging and building each other up. And that's this kind of life-giving community that Paul writes about. He says, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and the dead. Now, I use this scripture passage when I stand with families in the cemetery at graveside at the committal service because it puts everything into perspective. Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Master, the one in charge of our lives while we're living and also when we die, which means when we're in a community of Christ, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the one at the center of the community who is Jesus. So we, whatever we do, we do to honor him. So we don't discourage and condemn each other. That would dishonor Jesus. We encourage one another. Build each other up in the faith because that honors Jesus the Lord. We don't criticize and tear each other down. That would dishonor Jesus. Instead, we build each other up because that honors the Lord. It's as simple as this. In the church, which is like the body of Christ, Jesus Christ is the head. He's the Lord. He's in charge. We're not here to please ourselves and get what we can. We're here to honor Jesus by serving each other. You see, the problem's not the problem. When God's Spirit guided the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the house church in Rome, there was tension and conflict. And this is not a big group of people, maybe 100 at most. The Jewish believers were saying, well, we have to worship Jesus on the Sabbath and other certain Jewish holy days. And the Gentile believers were saying, 
forget that, that's just your Jewish stuff. We don't need to do that anymore. And some Jewish believers were saying, well, there's certain foods you should eat and certain foods you should not eat as part of worshiping Jesus. And the Gentile believers said, we can eat any food we want. God made it all. All the food is fine. And they were judging and condemning each other. They were critical of each other's decisions and they were each certain that they were right and that the other was wrong. So Paul pointed out the elephant in the room. The problem's not the problem. The real problem is that they thought that they were Lord of each other. I'm Lord of you. You should do what I want. You're Lord of me. I should do what you want. You see, whoever's Lord actually does get to do the judging. And whoever's Lord is the one we're all trying to please. But in a community of Christ, the only Lord is Jesus himself. I'm not your Lord, and you're not my Lord. The once crucified, now risen, ascended Son of God, Jesus Christ, who soon returns, he is Lord of all of us. So in our community, we treat each other in ways that honor Jesus the Lord. Which brings us to our next stop, too, which is we are each personally accountable to God. Let's just read that together. Read with me. We are each personally accountable to God. So we are all accountable to the Lord for how we treat each other in this community of Christ we call Cornerstone. Now in the house church in Rome that Paul was writing to, it seems that everyone was acting as that they're accountable to me. And they don't, I don't want to be accountable to you. And people were saying, why won't you do what I want you to do? Why won't you worship the way I think that you should? Why won't you eat certain foods and not eat certain foods the way I do. What's wrong with you? So Paul gives this very decisive answer to this critical thinking. He wrote, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, when Paul writes judgment seat of God, he's not talking about whether or not we are made right with God. Paul's clear in earlier in Romans, we're made right with God through faith in what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection. And through faith in Jesus, we become God's kids, we're invited into his family, and we're certain of new resurrection life when this life is over. Well, that's just set. That said, as God's kids, we are accountable to him for what we do with our lives. So when we meet Jesus at the end, we want to hear him say, and Jesus wants to say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. And we want Jesus to smile at us like a proud parent smiles at their kids. And we know one thing that will deepen Jesus' smile is if we treat each other in ways that build each other up. And so that's what we want to do. You'll read this in one of the online devotionals this week by J.D. Walt, but I just wanted to give it to you today because you, you may need to ponder it. Uh, John Gottman, a noted, noted marriage therapist, uh, as far as I know, not a Christian, just a good researcher, came up with uh, landmark research on why divorces happen. Pretty interesting. He said, and when he got done, he said, I can predict by talking with a couple 90% of the time whether or not they will stay married or divorced. He said there's four steps that lead to divorce, kind of unfortunate chapters. And it's not rocket science. It's pretty common sense, but he kind of put it together. He says, first stage is criticism. I'm doing it right. What's wrong with you? You do it wrong. Criticism just keeps going. And then after the criticism comes defensiveness on both parts. No, your criticism is wrong. No, my criticism is right. 
your criticism is wrong. Defensiveness. Put the walls up. And then after the criticism, which leads to defensiveness, there's contempt. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do anything right? You're hopeless. Contempt. Then after the criticism, which led to defensiveness, which led to contempt, then comes stonewalling in which we say, I'm not talking to you anymore. There's no point. And then it's over. Now, I apologize if you've been through divorce and this has brought back uh, a hard chapter in your life, but I just mention it. It may help those of us who are currently married, but it helps us figure out what to avoid in a community of Christ that we call Cornerstone. When we criticize each other, it leads to defensiveness, and that sours into contempt, and then we just stop talking. And community is destroyed. So we can safeguard our community in Christ at Cornerstone by refusing to criticize each other over things that don't matter. And we replace that criti criticism with what honors the Lord, which is encouraging each other. Now, on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ, this may sound strange, but I apologize to you if you have been in a community of Christ where you, where you receive criticism and condemnation and judgment. I am sorry. That is not the kind of community that Jesus had in mind for his followers. And it's not the kind of community that we're trying to build here at Cornerstone. Which leads us to stop number three is we aim for harmony and encouragement. So in 14, 14, uh, 14 through 23, there, Paul goes back and forth about, you know, the worship days. If this day's right, this day's better. You no, know, don't eat this kind of food. And why do you feel that way? Why are your convictions that strong? Paul goes through all those differences, and then he, he, he tells the people, I want you to push all your judgment about these non-essentials aside and focus on harmony and building each other up. Harmony and building the other person up in their faith. A number of years ago, I saw and heard what, at least to, my, to date in my life, is the most powerful example of harmony and encouragement between two Christian believers in a church I was serving back in Minnesota. There was a young woman who had recently started coming to church, whole new thing for her, didn't know anything about Jesus, and over time found out who Jesus was and gave her life to Jesus Christ, just growing in her faith. She'd had uh, an extremely difficult childhood. She had been through the worst stuff I've ever heard, ever. So she's a lot of healing, a lot of working through stuff, and she's making progress. But I noticed... Uh, we'll call her Tracy. Not a real name. We'll call her Tracy. So I noticed Tracy walked into church one summer Sunday, and uh, she was wearing a skirt. And I noticed that because on the lower, her lower left leg was entirely covered with a new tattoo she had gotten. It was big. It was bright, colorful. It was a Muppet character that covered her whole lower leg. And couldn't help but notice. And then I also watched as one of our older women in the church... I'll just call her Edie, a longtime believer, loves Jesus, walks over to Tracy as to engage Tracy in conversation, because they usually talked every Sunday. And I confess, I moved a little bit closer to listen to what Edie would say, because I wasn't quite sure what would happen. I knew from Edie's age, she'd been raised uh, in a day when tattoos were seen as wrong. And I was hoping that Edie's maturity in Christ would overcome any desire she had to criticize Tracy 
because Tracy's just new and just growing in her faith, trying to figure things out. And, you know, Edie could have said something like, Tracy, what's the matter with you? Why are you defacing the body God gave you? Why did you waste your money on a tattoo? I mean, I could hear Edie saying that. So I smiled when I heard Edie say to Tracy, Tracy, I see you have a new tattoo. It looks very nice. Tell me about it. No criticism, no judgment about a non-essential. Instead, there's harmony and encouragement. That's what we aim for. That's what honors the Lord. We have to help each other grow up in faith. And that just naturally leads to number four. We live to help each other. This is the basic mindset of the community in Christ here at Cornerstone that Paul wants us to have. We live to help others. We're not here for others to serve us. We're not here for people to make us happy. We're not expecting people to do things our way. We're not expecting people to go way overboard to make us feel welcome. We're here to help others. We're here to serve others. We're here to encourage each other. We're here to go out of our way to welcome others. We're here to honor Jesus by how we help each other. And in the house church in Rome, Paul wrote very straightforward, very bluntly, these words. We who are strong, longer in the faith, following Jesus, must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves we should help them do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Second sentence, we must not just please ourselves. Our culture says exactly the opposite. Live to please yourself. It's the only way you'll be happy. It's the only way you'll find contentment. You have to live to please yourself. Paul, led by God's Spirit, says, no. We must not live to please ourselves. We must live in a way in a community in Christ with our brothers and sisters that we build them up, that we are concerned about each other, that we help each other in this walk that we're on. A community in Christ where each person lives just to please themselves, that community will self-destruct. It's just a matter of time. But a community where in Christ where each person is focused on building each other up, that kind of community in Christ gives people life, and leads to stop four. We live to help other people. That's why we live. Paul talks about the first, chap- first verses in chapter 15. I learned about this, not just in the Bible, but firsthand experience back in my seminary days. We're taking a class on Christian education for adults, and this is back in the time when small groups were just brand new thing. Nobody had done them before, and we were talking about them. And the professor said, rather forcefully, she said, Before you invite your people to be a part of a small group, you should be a part of a small group so you know what you're asking them to do. And I thought, well, that makes sense. So I asked four of my classmates, hey, we're free on Friday mornings. Uh, Let's just meet over at the seminary in this room and we'll just take one hour. We'll talk about what's going on. We'll pray for each other. We'll just do that. And we did. We started. We did it for three years. And when we started, we really didn't know each other. I mean, we had our image, right? This is Steve, these are my friends, and we know a little bit about each other, but we're just fellow students. But three years later, we learned to let our guard down. We asked for prayer for ourselves. We asked for help. We're all facing challenges, right? Everybody does. Two of my friends, uh, their parents divorced when they were kids. Their dads moved out, and they're trying to figure out how to be in a relationship with their dad as an adult. One of my friends had a parent who told him he'd never mount anything. He's trying to figure out how to get from underneath that. 
One of my friends was a number of years older, second career person, already got kids, big change in his life. Uh, one of my friends was trying to break an addiction in his life. So we had this little community in Christ that met every Friday morning. We became real to each other, which meant we could actually really encourage each other and be really helpful to each other. And that's exactly what happened. So just some next steps to help you wherever you're at in figuring out what it means to be part of the community in Christ at Cornerstone. First one is repent of criticism. We could probably all do this. And repent just means turn around, turn away from it, go the other direction, encourage, don't criticize. And by criticism, I do not mean we pretend that we always agree with each other. That's just not going to happen. We certainly can and will disagree with each other about some things, but we can disagree on non-essential things without judging or belittling each other. That is the kind of disagreement that actually honors the Lord. And then we can keep on encouraging. And word of the wise, because this is how I work. Criticism doesn't start with your words. It starts with your thoughts, doesn't it? And eventually, your critical thoughts come out. So you may need to uh, think about who or how you've been criticizing and tell, tell Jesus, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that anymore. And if you need to apologize to somebody, go do that. It would be good for them. It would be, let Jesus know you're serious about following his way of living. And then ask Jesus for healing of past hurts. I'm not going to do this. But if I asked everyone here to raise your hand, if you've been hurt or offended by a brother or sister in Christ, many or most of us would raise our hands. I would. It happens. The deal is unhealed hurts keep hurting. Healed hurts bring health, and let us move on. So sometime this afternoon or this week, you may need to sit down and say, Jesus, I need to talk to you about how I've been hurt. And just tell Jesus the story. And when you're done, say, and I want to let go of it. And I need healing. And it's a great next step to take to move forward. And it'll make it much easier for you to be part of community with uh, that hurt healed up. And then finally, make it your goal to encourage people. I mean, I don't know what you do on your way home from church or while you're eating your meal on Sunday afternoons, but this would be a great habit. We all, uh, whether we're by ourselves or with a, uh, one person or with a big family unit, just say, so how do you encourage someone at church today? And, oh, I met so-and-so for the first time. That was good. Or I smiled at a kid as they were running by. Or I saw someone by themselves and I went over and talked to them. Or someone said they're having a hard time with this and I prayed for them. That's what church is about. Community, a place of encouragement. And that's actually why we all come, to be encouraged and then to do the encouraging together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that what, what you guided the Apostle Paul to say is actually what you did for us. You did not come to criticize, judge, and condemn or belittle us. You came to save us, to forgive us, to build us up, to encourage us. And we want to be like that in how we interact with each other. So Holy Spirit, help us with that. Heal us up. Give us a deep desire to be great encouragers. We want to make you smile. For Jesus, we pray in your name and we all say, Amen.